Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me today with my guest, Jennifer James. Jennifer is an author. She's also a breast cancer survivor and a trained breast cancer mentor. And trust me, and so much more. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Hello, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I, I, I like I said. I mean, what's what it when when people go to an account and read about all that you do, and we're going to be talking about this. It is remarkable what you do, and I just I'm so delighted that your sister Christine introduced me to you, <laughs> and I'm able to have you yeah. joining me today. It's pretty cool. So why don't you it just tell our cool. listeners? It is. So why don't you just tell our <laughs> listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, first I just want to say happy birthday to you. Oh, because thank you. This is a very special day. I'm so glad I get to share that with you. Um, thank so, you. Happy birthday. I hope you have something great planned afterwards as well. So I do. involves a lot of cake eating, Marsha. <laughs> well, I, I, I know I'm going out for dinner, so, so thank you. But now Good. on to you, my friend. So, so okay. tell, our, okay. tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Thank you. Well, I was born and raised in Nebraska, so I'm a Midwest girl at heart. Uh, I was born in Omaha. I was raised in Lincoln. And... Just a little side note, since we're on the subject of growing up in Nebraska, uh, my best friend from high school actually designed the cover of my book, and she's Ooh. a very successful illustrator and designer and artist, and so that was such a cool process to be able to do that with her. So oh, no anyway, kidding. I always like to add that, a little shout out to Courtney Keller for, for taking good care of me in that aspect and making oh. the book beautiful <laughs> and have a face to it, right? Yes. Um, so anyway, yeah, after high school, I went to college, and I majored in uh, advertising photography in Santa Barbara, and after graduation, I moved to Los Angeles, in which I fell in love with LA, and I still work in Los Angeles. We have a production company, me and my husband, so we produce photo shoots, and mm. which includes still emotion, so um Going on to the subject now, so around 38 years old, um, I started feeling like as much as I loved my career, I felt like something was missing in my life. I don't know Mm -hmm. if it was because it was midlife or what, (laughs) what exactly it was, but I just found myself searching for something more with more purpose and something to give back. And so that, we're going to talk about life purpose, I know, as we go through this conversation today, which is very mm-hmm. important to me, but that's just sort of a, a little tidbit about where I was at when I started then my journey, which is going to be around 40 years old with cancer. Okay. Well, um, 
people that that follow my podcasts and and listen to me every every week they know that mm-hmm. this is obviously cancer awareness month and i there are five mondays in um october and my first podcast was with Katie Rampant also a breast cancer survivor and we talked about breast cancer and it just seems appropriate that i end this month talking about breast cancer my mother had breast cancer and i think that there's probably if you were to just take a random show your hand put your hand up in the air if you or somebody you know and love has had breast cancer you know i would imagine Mm -hmm. most hands go up so how did you discover that you had breast cancer and your diagnosis so i turned 40 and i was in my i was at my annual physical with my primary care physician. And she said, hey, it's time to get your first mammogram, <laughs> which you know, we all yep. are like, oh, you know, but, but I did it. Yes. Uh, it came back clear. And that was in the summer of 2016. And then fast forward about nine months. Mm-hmm. I'm in Palm Springs. I'm at a nice restaurant celebrating my mother-in-law's birthday. And I have seasonal allergies, and I can't stop sneezing, and I keep sneezing and keep sneezing, and finally I decide, you know, I'm just going to hold it in. And by holding in my sneeze, it literally potentially saved my life. So what happened was <gasps> I strained a muscle in my side. Uh, I got hmm. through the dinner by doing, you know, rubbing it and hoping, you know, taking some deep breaths. And then a few days later, I'm getting ready in the evening, taking a shower. I went to pull my shirt off. And my sight still hurt from that pull, from that strain. And I started Hmm. massaging my muscle, and my hand bumped into a hard, well-defined lump in my right breast, um, not very far from my rib cage right there. And Hmm. that was a pure panic, as I think most people and women feel when they discover a lump in their breast. Uh, So... That, then on immediately I, I called my doctor. I got in to have it checked, and after having a mammogram again and a biopsy, I was told on May 1st of 2017 I was diagnosed with triple positive invasive decal carcinoma, which is basically breast cancer. Um, and the triple positive part just makes it a bit more aggressive, which mm. explains why there was nothing on the mammogram nine months prior to finding this golf ball sized lump in my breast. It was the size of a golf ball, truly? Wait, let me interrupt that. Was it that large? It was Oh my goodness, okay. Go on. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean you couldn't not you know, it was one of those things where when I felt it, I knew this was really abnormal. (laughs) Right? You're like this block here. (laughs) So uh yeah. Wow. Wow, that must have been frightening. Hmm. It was absolutely, that day, I mean, it's one of those days that you'll never forget. We were driving um, to Los Angeles from Palm Springs for a production. Me and my husband, we were in the truck uh, with equipment full, you know, the the flatbed was full of equipment and everything. Mm -hmm. And my doctor, the biopsy, the, the doctor who did the biopsy told me, it'll take about five days for us to call you with the results Mm -hmm. and it took like two. (laughs) So when I got a call Mm. from her, um, 
you know, it was just pure chaos. I felt like I had fallen into my worst nightmare, that my life as I knew it had changed and forever. And it was a moment that I can only kind of describe as where you feel like you're in between life and death. It's just like in between spot where you feel like, you know, the life as you knew it is gone. And yet, you know, you're still alive, but you're not sure where and how long that will be and how fleeting it is. Right. So it's very scary. I bet. What was the treatment plan? And tell us about what, what you went through. So they ended up, my surgeon and my oncologist both prescribed six rounds of chemotherapy. And that was basically to shrink the tumor. So I did chemotherapy three weeks apart. Uh, it, it worked. So it went from a golf ball to the size of a pea because of chemotherapy, which allowed mm. me to have a lumpectomy surgery, which is a partial mastectomy, meaning I could keep my breast. Right. And wow. then we followed up with 20 zaps of radiation um, along with, because of my, I had a HER2 positive it was part of my markers. So mm-hmm. they continued on with Herceptin for another 12 uh, infusions. So wow. it, was, it was a long process, uh, basically, that went from May 1st of 2017 through November 2nd of 2017, when I was told I was cancer-free, which was the best day of my life. It was like I the worst bet. day of my life, bookend with the best day of my life. Uh, and so oh my in just a few days, in three days, actually, I'm going to be celebrating six years cancer wow. which is amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. I'm curious about something. So sure. they, they did the chemo to reduce the size. Did they, they ever actually remove the mass itself? Yeah, they did. So because it shrank down to the size of a pea, what they did Mm -hmm. was um, they removed that with a buffer around it with the tissue. But it allowed, it really did allow my breast to look pretty normal, even after the surgery was over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, and then with the radiation, because it was so close to my lung, they ended up Mm. doing radiation on my armpit. Of course, my breast, especially where that that mass was, and into my mm-hmm. lung as well, just to protect me from it coming back. I, was there a part of you that said, "Look at, get this damn thing out of me right now, and then we'll move over to treatment"? Did you ever? Did that go through your mind? You know, it's funny because I actually was hoping and praying that I would never have to do chemotherapy. That was sort of, to oh. me, the worst thought Mm -hmm. that I would have to do something so drastic to cure it. Um, So I met with my surgeon first, and I was really hoping when I went into that appointment that she was just going to say, hey, you know what, all we need to do is do a surgery, and you're back, you know, back to normal. Things are going to go as planned, you know, but it didn't go that way. And so I actually, she suggested I did chemotherapy, and in that moment when she told me that, it was those moments in life where your nervous system completely <laughs> shuts down and you're mm-hmm. hearing her, but it's sounding like you're underwater and there's a disconnect. And I, I was sweating and I'm thinking, I'm trying to pretend like she can't, you know, 
am I acting normal? I'm trying to act normal. Like, can she see that I am really falling apart here? Right. Uh, and it was an interesting moment because I said to her, because I really didn't want to do chemotherapy. And so I, mm-hmm. I, I said to her, I saw, I looked over on her desk and there was a picture, a framed picture of her with a little girl, which I assumed was her daughter. And I said to her, would you prescribe the same treatment plan if I was your daughter? And she took a moment. She looked up at the ceiling. And the way she took a moment and, like, paused, I was very comforting. I felt like she was really thinking about it. And then she looked at me, and she said, yes, I would. I would would prescribe her the same treatment. And I was like, let's do it. (laughs) Right? I'm good now, so that's all I needed. Yeah. You know, I that that must have been very reassuring. What would you say is the current narrative around cancer at this time? You know, I think it's so important to talk about it because it's still very taboo and very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as a society as a whole, we focus more on tragedy instead of triumph. I mean, there's 18.1 million cancer survivors in the United States alone. And if the news always talked about every single one of those people, you know, Mm -hmm. we'd be like, okay, enough already. (laughs) Like everybody is surviving this, right? But, Mm -hmm. but we don't, you know, we talk, we, we focus, we tend to focus more on the, on the tragedy and the fear of it. Um, I noticed when I was diagnosed, people even had a hard time saying it. Like they would, I would tell them if I had cancer, they would say, oh, you have cancer? And they would whisper it, uh, which I thought was strange. Or they would say, like, it's almost like if they said it out loud, that it would get them next, right? It was that evil thing that was going to attack them. Mm. Uh, And so, or they would use just the C word, right? They would say, oh, you have the C word. You know, it was like, they won't even say the word. Hmm. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. interesting. And I, I... yeah, I had a, uh, I went to an event in Mammoth recently where I spoke, and, and the oncology nurse came up to me afterwards, and she was saying, I completely identified with that when you said that they whispered about it, because she, because she said, even when I tell people what I do for a living, that I'm an oncology nurse, she goes, people whisper that back. They're like, oh, you're wow. an oncology nurse. Like, and she was like, it's so weird. And I said, I That's interesting. really, really weird. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, so, I, I want to just. Go ahead. I'll finish your thought there. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, well, I, I just wanted to let people know as they're listening to this that you do have a fabulous mm-hmm. website. And I wanted oh. to just say that in the very beginning here so that as people are listening and they want to visit your website, they can because this is how you're going to find this fabulous website. And that is, you're, it's actually the name of your book. So I'm going mm-hmm. to spell this for you because um, you may wonder about the spelling. So it's called feistywritey.com, and this is how you spell the feisty, F-E-I-S-T-Y-R-I-G-H-T-Y, feistywritey.com, and it's a cancer survivor's journey. So that is your website for people that can visit that. And I just wanted to make sure that, as people are listening, and you had mentioned that your friend designed the cover, so that's yeah. pretty cool because that's something I didn't know before this. So I just yeah. I just wanted to make sure we got that in there. But I just wanted to say, 
it, it's evident that as a society, we need to take away cancer's power. I mean, just by you saying, oh, you have cancer, you know, the, the whisper. Yeah, exactly. how, how, well, they're, you know, I don't know that they're necessarily afraid they're going to get it, but maybe they don't know how to talk to you. Like, oh, gosh, True. maybe I shouldn't ask. So how yep. can we do this to take away some of this power as individuals? Okay, so I have four ways that I think would really help that everybody can can do. Uh, one right. is open the conversation. So what you're doing today and what we're doing here is shifting the narrative, and everybody who's made mm-hmm. a conscious decision to listen today is a part of this change and this really positive yes. change. So I love this. I love that you're willing to talk about it in depth, um, ask questions. I am an open book, as is my book. <laughs> it's an open book. <laughs> and uh, I think that anything we can do, any questions we can ask, the more we can learn about it, the better we can support people going through it. So that's okay. one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing is if you are diagnosed with cancer, whether you've just been diagnosed or you're in the middle of treatment or you're post-treatment and you feel comfortable enough to talk about it, or write about your experience, then please do. I can't stress that enough. I had one lady at an event say, you know, I, I only had like stage zero cancer and, and I just had surgery. I never went through big treatment, but I want to talk about it with people, but I just feel like my story doesn't matter. And if I was like, listen, your story matters. Every story matters because we're trying to get all of this out. And if somebody has, somebody will have a different experience than I did. There'll be things that are similar and things that are very different. Uh, so I say, like, if you feel like blogging about it, blog. If you feel like hopping on TikTok and doing a live video or something, do that. You know, if you feel like you want to paint or draw or anything that you can express what that experience was to you, I think uh, mm-hmm. the world needs that. They need to see that. Um, so that's number two. Number three, I would say I'm big on prevention. So I would say, ladies, please go get mammograms, schedule your mammograms. It's so important. Um, Also, clinical breast screenings are great. So our clinical breast exams are great, meaning like if you're in seeing your primary doctor or your gynecologist, just ask them if they'll perform a breast exam. And you can stagger Mm -hmm. that. So you could stagger that from your mammogram. So let's say you get your mammogram in January and you get your, you know, you have your annual physical in August. Just that's been mm-hmm. like, you know, a few months. So go ahead and have them check then. Also, sure. um, yeah, the, the self-check breast exams are important too. Like just check yourself. Just once a month, just get familiar with the way your breast tissue feels so that when something changes in your body, you can immediately contact your doctor. Uh, I do want to say, though, and I, this is an important Thing that I did not know until after I received my, well, actually during my biopsy, I learned this, but 80 to 85% of breast lumps are benign. So I think that's important wow. to remember because if you feel one, remember the, mm-hmm. ad, the odds are stacked in your favor that it's okay. It's going to be benign. There's not going to be cancer in that, but you should still get it checked. So I mm-hmm. think that's important because fear is immediately associated with that lump, right? Like when you feel that, yes. it's like there's fear associated and then the last thing is, uh, this is probably the hardest, is to create an in-depth conversation between the caregiver 
and their loved one who is diagnosed with cancer. This is really tough because as the patient, when I was the patient going through it, and, and I had amazing support by family and friends, but they'll ask you, like, are you doing okay? And, and I would say, yeah, I'm doing fine when I wasn't. And I think the reason mm-hmm. you do that is out of love. You can see the stress mm-hmm. it causes people. You're very in tune to that, and you're trying to minimize it. So I think that is a disservice, though, to both people, because the person who loves you wants to support you, but they don't know right. how. And I think that – so it's hard. I mean, I, you're exhausted. You don't really want to talk about it. You think about it all the time. Uh, but I think we can really help take away cancer's power if we can have those in-depth conversations with our loved ones especially. Yes, I think that's really important, I, I know for myself. So I know we have so many things we can talk about, and I I want to be able to get through some of the questions here with you, and I'm going to keep an eye on the clock. So how did the physical part of your cancer journey influence your emotional and mental So it was the first time when I looked in the mirror, and this was after I had done probably about three rounds of chemotherapy, and I had six total, so I was halfway through chemotherapy. It was the first time I looked in the mirror and I no longer recognized myself, uh, which was strange because – you know, as a kid, you see pictures of yourself, and you kind of have a faint memory maybe of that experience, like here I am, Jennifer at Disneyland, <laughs> you know, or Right, right. But you can associate with that in some way. You do. But it, there's a, it's a real disconnect when you no longer feel like your appearance, because it's changed so quickly and drastically, uh, coincides mm-hmm. with who you are. So what happens as a result is, I had a very rattled self-esteem, you know, it, because you're trying to, it's not even how you look. It's just a matter of, like, trying to identify with how you look. So that was really, really difficult for me. Um, I felt every mm-hmm. emotion possible. And I always say this, and a, and a lot of the people I mentor um, agree with me on this, is that, you know, when you're, when you're sad, Outside of the cancer experience, if you're sad, you know, I feel sad today or I I feel joy today, and you can describe different emotions. I don't know what happens, but somehow when you're in this experience and the cancer experience and the journey, you can't identify those separate entities anymore or different descriptions Hmm. or adjectives. So what you do is you, it's like you're feeling joy at the same time you're feeling guilt or you're feeling sadness, you know, and it's these, so they're kind of these morphed emotions. Uh, so I think that was really unique for me as well. And I, the other thing that's really hard is, you know, people in society uh, give you the title. If you've been diagnosed with cancer, they often give you the title that you're a warrior or you have courage or you're, you're strong or you're brave. And, they, and these are all amazing words that you want to be, but you don't always feel like that. And I would say most mm. people that I talk to don't feel like that. So, again, that's another disconnect. So society's telling you one thing that's very positive and optimistic, but then you're not feeling that way. And at the same time, when I had gone through chemotherapy and I had lost my hair, I lost 21 pounds, um, you know, my, I, I was gaunt, you know. I, might, I mean, like mm-hmm. I said, my, my appearance had changed. I noticed the way society, not everyone, of course, but certain 
those right. people would look at you. And I would, I would call it the pity look. There was people that would look at you, uh, and the best way to describe it is they looked at you as if cancer was winning. I always thought it like that. Like, and so that, that's really hard because at the same time people were saying, hey, you're a warrior, you're brave, you're courageous, you know, all these things. And yet on the flip side, it was hard. Sometimes I didn't see that in people when they looked at me. They didn't, they didn't react to me that way. So that's, that's so important what you just said, because I think, just speaking for myself, I think I can identify with that, and I think you've just taught me something. I think I would probably look like, oh gosh, are you okay? Instead of instead of looking at you and go, damn girl, you've got this. You're a warrior. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Right? I, I, yeah. I think this is this is. An important message for our listeners to hear that this was your reaction when somebody looks at you through these pitiful eyes, and I think that that's that's very important. And I just think when you did you have a different perspective than your doctor when it came to fighting your cancer? I did. Uh, I mean, we both wanted, we all wanted the, med- the entire medical team and myself. We wanted for me to get to the other side of cancer. So that of was for sure, you know, we agreed on. But let me tell you the story. This is actually really funny because this is the best example of how different our perspectives was or how, okay. how, how different they So I was three weeks out from my first chemotherapy, and my hair was starting to fall out. I, I, was, it wasn't, I wasn't bald. I didn't wear any head, you know, coverings at that time. But I was very – it was so fragile that I was really careful with it. So, you know, it's like one of those things when you go to take a shower, you just barely dab the shampoo on and you, you dare not run a comb through it. You know, it's going to fall sure. out and use a hair dryer. So I'm sitting in the, my oncologist's office and I'm waiting for him to come in. And, and he walks into the room and the first thing he says is, you have hair. And I said, yeah, like I'm so excited and, and pleased with myself. Yes, of course. Fast, right? Uh-huh. And he looks at me, he says, but losing your hair is a good thing. That means the treatment is working. And oh. it was the first time where I was like, I had never thought of it that way. I had never thought oh. that, you know, it, you know, the chemotherapy attacks fast-moving cells. Your hair is one of those things. So it made mm. sense to him, like, that, uh-oh, this is this is trouble, right? I needed, I needed hair for my job, but he needed me to not have hair for his, right? So right. it was, it was an interesting realization. And I, and I often yes. say that when I venture, losing your hair is a, is a big thing. Uh, it's really difficult for a lot of mm-hmm. women and, and men. And I think that that is a good example that when you start to lose your hair to think about it that way and it may shift your perspective on what that wow. means. Yeah. I think that's 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 everything that you're saying for those people that are listening right now. I I don't know how many of you are taking notes, but I think <laughs> that this information is so important and I'm just wondering how did the diagnosis and the cancer experience change you? Did it change you? It did. It changed it did. everything about me, to tell you the truth. Hmm. I learned so much about myself, and I discovered that, it, you know, we all know what we need to do in life. We all know 
really deep down, we know what matters and who matters and, and what we should focus on. But somehow life creates these filters that get in the way of that. And, you know, when you hear a, a cancer diagnosis, that you have cancer, those things are, are ripped away. And you start to really evaluate your life. You start to question, like, why did I give up on that dream? Or, mm. you know, what am I doing with myself? And I think we all assume there's a lot of time in our lives, uh, but that's not necessarily the case. And I think that we, even if we have, even if we all live to be 100, which would be a huge blessing, I think if we don't do the best each day and realize how fragile life is and, and really live fearlessly, right, and take it on and do the things we really want to do, then it's a disservice to ourselves and why we're here in the first place. So mm-hmm. um, I also some, figured out some... the act of living. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Go, you also figured out what? I figured out the act of living uh, is different than the art of living. And what I mean mm. by that is, you know, the act is like breathing, eating, sleeping, paying bills, working. Those are all part of the act of living. But the art of living is like the talent that you have as an individual, mm. the passion that you have. What makes, what sparks your creativity? What sparks joy, you know? And those are all unique to you and to each person. And that's beautiful. So I think if if we can just go back and look inside ourselves and find those things that are important to us Mm -hmm. and live by that, then, oh, my goodness, like, what a better, happier life we will have. Absolutely. So... What's the best way, and I know people that are listening would really like to know this, what's the best way that friends and family can support someone who has been diagnosed? So that is a great question, and that, and one that um, I think that more people should actually ask. So okay. I would say that is a good question to ask the person that you know that has been diagnosed. It's like, how can I best support you? Uh, I do think that it's important to have empathy and not sympathy. So no one expects you to understand the experience if you haven't gone through it. Like a patient never expects that. But it goes back to the way you yeah, the way people talk to you, uh, just empathy over sympathy always. I just say, I always say that. Um, also, I think it's, it's important that I just spoke to one girl actually yesterday who I mentor, and she said, that the support, she really liked it when people would give her specific things. Like she had somebody at church who said to her, okay, I want to support you, and here's three ways that I think I can support you. I can either go clean your bathroom and organize your bathroom. (laughs) I can Uh uh, drive you to an appointment, you know, or I can cook you a meal. And she loved that. She was like, it wasn't Mm. just this ambiguous question, like, oh, let me know if I can help you with anything. It was very specific. And she that's then nice. said, hey, actually, if you could organize my bathroom, that would be awesome. <laughs> so that's the one she chose, uh, which is great. So I think that asking people and being specific and anything you can do to help, uh, picking up medications because the white blood count, you know, is usually low for a patient. So being able to go to the pharmacy for them, driving them to appointments, uh, anything that you can do that. Even, and if they say, I don't, I just need my space, 
that's support mm-hmm. too. Like give them their space, right? That is support. So you, so you don't always have to know what to say. You just have to just be there, right? And just right. show that you care. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't start off by saying, I'm so sorry. Maybe because yeah, that, that's the symptom. That's because I think that's what we're all inclined to do. I'm so sorry. And yeah. said what you said is, you know, I've heard. I understand that you're dealing with this right now, and I'm wondering, how could I best help you? What could, could I do something mm-hmm. that would that would that would make life a little easier for you? Just let me know what that is. Maybe I could even offer a suggestion rather than wait for you to tell me. I think that that's yeah. what I heard you just say, and I, I love that. Yeah. I think that's really, really important. Uh, before we start talking about your book, because I do want to spend some time on your book because it's so cool. The, okay. the cancer journey is filled with so many unknowns. I know I experienced that with my own mother. Yeah. How yeah. did you handle, and you know, they, they know a lot more now than they did many, many years ago. My, my mother died in, in 1989. Um, okay. So we're, we've, we've come a long way since then. But Absolutely. Was there so many unknowns? How did you handle all the unknowns? So I think this is a good question about life in general because we all, mm-hmm. because life is an unknown, right? Every, every day is unknown, right? We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, so I think we have to break it down. And like my mom says, she always says, break it down, make it small. Um, so basically mm-hmm. take one day at a time. And no matter how crummy your day is, whatever happens in it that's crummy, uh, you can get through the day. So that's how I always sort of stay in the present. Uh, I think I was searching before I was diagnosed. I was searching. I always I had gotten into meditation, and I wanted to learn to, to be in the present. I kept trying to be in the present, but I was, I'm such an overthinker. And <laughs> the cancer experience taught me to definitely be in the moment because from one day to the next, I didn't know what my biopsy results were going to be or what my next appointment was going to be or if the chemo was going to work. And so because of that, I had to stay in the moment. I had to just go whatever happens is going to happen. It's outside of my control. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my best, and that's all I can do. So I kind of relinquished control, which is hard to do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, I would say but it's I, it's not easy to do. When, if your mind is yeah. swirling, um, I can absolutely understand what you're saying. And it, I, I, I'm just going to throw my husband in there just for a moment because yeah. he lives so simply. And it sounds <laughs> simple, but it was simple for him which was, it is what it is, comma, I adapt. Love, I love yep. that. That is exactly how he lived his life. Now, sometimes that's a lot easier said than done because I always said, yeah, but. But exactly. I would just say, I would, but, I, but what you're saying, and you know, you just never know, you just never know, Jennifer, what these words might be meaning to either a loved one who is going through this with a family member or someone themselves. And that's why you're so experienced. That's why you are a mentor. My goodness, I mean, my, I mean, you are very certified and able to assist a lot of different people, and it's quite oh. remarkable, truly. I mean, you, you are an amazing woman. Oh, I'd like to spend you. some – no, but I mean that. 
let's let's talk about your book because I, I do want you to be able to share that. And the name of your book is called Feisty, and that's F E I S T Y Righty. It's it's very. Don't put that I before E after C because you're not going to get there. Don't don't ask yourself if that's wrong. So let's talk about. I love that. I can't tell you how many times I've written the name of your book and going. Am I right? Did I do that right? Oh yes, you did. That's so funny. So, how is the title symbolic to what you're talking about? Okay, so feisty. So feisty meant the cancer. Righty meant the location, right, of the tumor or the cancer in my breast. So that made sense for the for that. Mm-hmm. But also in the book, what feisty righty represented was. Spicy writing was the first time that I decided to separate myself from the cancer. So at the beginning, I I fell a victim to it. I would say it's my cancer. I would claim it. And there was a moment in the journey where I decided to separate from it. And the way to do that is I gave it a proper name, right, which was – and when I did that, it allowed me to identify that it was me against it. It was me yeah. against, you know, the real me, the true me, and all my, the thriving me, right, all the cells that are, that are doing what they're supposed to be doing and keeping me safe and healthy against this tumor and these cells that are, had gone rogue or abnormal cells. So it gave me, by naming it, uh, the tumor itself, it allowed me to feel empowered and it, it it was like at that moment I was like, you know what, I'm going to win this. It was the first time I was, I wasn't so, I was so devastated, but I took control. I took that control over it. And mm-hmm. that is so empowering when you feel like such a victim in, to a disease like this. True. And at what point did you decide to write the book about your cancer experience and how did you feel your book is different from other cancer-related memoirs? Well, you know, I on the day I was diagnosed, I heard this voice after I had, mm. couldn't cry anymore. I, I think I cried so much tears that I was like, oh, my gosh, there's no more tears to cry. And <laughs> I was sitting there uh, with my family, which I had just told them as well that I was diagnosed. And I heard this voice. And it came to me, and it was so clear, and it said, journal the experience. And I was like, I didn't mm. know why. I didn't know. But I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to journal the experience. So I told them out loud, you know, what I was going to do. It almost like, it, it was like, okay, if I do this, this is my next step. Of whatever in this crazy journey, I'm just going to, I like to write. I'm just going to journal it. It will help me heal. I had no idea really how I would use that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I completed seven journals through the experience, wow. uh, which it took me a long time to even open one of them and look at what I had written during that time. Mm-hmm. When I finally was able to do that, what I realized was I had documented every, not only the physical experience, but I had documented every shift of emotion from like feeling victimized to being angry at it to, uh, every emotional thought, like the things that I'm describing, it, it would be really hard in retrospect to remember all of those details. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason the book is very special to me is because it really does document all of those details. Um, the other thing that I thought was really cool 
was because I mentor women going through breast cancer, that while I was writing the book, I was able to use some of the material, I guess I would say, or a concept and, and, and see how they would respond to it because my goal was to help them. And so I wanted to see, mm-hmm. is this something that they can relate to or, you know, and, and so in real time, it was almost like doing research, but while I was writing it, right, it was like I could see and, and learn from them as well. And I think that makes the book very special to me because all, all the people I mentored during that period did play a role in the finished book. And I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. Were you a journal person prior to this experience? Were you, a, were you somebody that wrote down anyway things? No. You know, I, I really liked poetry or short stories, but I never mm-hmm. really journaled. Um, but I did love love writing. As you know, my sister is an amazing writer, and she yeah. always wrote. Talk about writing, writing, writing. You know, she was like, um, and I was that. I was just more, I loved creativity. And so I would use any sort of outlet I could, whether it be like painting or collaging or, you know, um, dance. When I was young, I did a lot of ballet. So it was always photography. So all of that sort of is how I express myself and how I would process mm-hmm. things. Yeah. You know, you know what's interesting about journal writing, because <clears throat> I, I did this quite a bit after my husband died, and that is mm-hmm. it helps you leave some space in your brain because you can take it out of your head and put it on paper. And yeah. and I that's that's a that's a um that's an interesting tool. That's why I think a lot of people do journal. I think a lot of authors journal and it does let you go back and say, "Oh yeah, I forgot that part." Right. You know, because yeah. you maybe you don't really want to remember it, but you want to capture it. And I can see yeah the value of that and how that then assisted you um, in your book. And you talk about um, searching for courage to walk into the infusion room or to do the chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. How, how, where did you muster up all that courage? I know. So I, huh. had, I, I, had, I think I was probably a few weeks out from having to do my first chemotherapy. Uh, and I started thinking about that. I was like, how am I going to find the courage to – to walk into that room and, and sit there and, and go through this. And so, you know, I'm kind of a word nerd. <laughs> so I decided <laughs> I'm going to go home and dissect the word courage. And so what hmm. I learned when I did that was the word, the Latin root of core means love. And in my head at that time, what I, it all made sense because I thought, well, I think if I think about somebody I love, whether they're alive or deceased or whomever, and I think about somebody that I love, that will give me the courage and strength to keep going. Mm. So it was interesting because I did that. With every chemotherapy, um, I would think of someone special to me, and then I'd climb up in the chair and, and get plugged mm. into my port for my infusions, and, and uh, that was what gave me the strength. I think that works with any obstacle in life. You know, you know it's it's hard to be courageous, especially when you're scared. Um, mm-hmm. But the courage is there. It's like I always say there's, there's a warrior spirit inside each of us. And I think 
that it waits, it's quiet, and it, and it kind of just waits in silence until you're ready and you need it. And then you'll surprise yourself sometimes by how strong you can become or resilient or how you can grow as a person. Um, it can be really amazing, but it mm-hmm. takes sometimes a tough time to get you there, you know? Do you – I'm just I'm, – I'm processing your story and thinking mm-hmm. about how I approach difficulties. Mm-hmm. You, you, you talked about journaling and, and courage and things like that, which I think is I'm – I'm a word person as well. Do you mm-hmm. ever speak out loud to yourself to encourage yourself? Do you ever hear your oh, voice literally say it? Yes. I, I, <laughs> I had to self-coach myself so much, uh, especially, like, during the worst parts of my side effects. Like, I had every side effect. You know, some people don't have hardly any side effects from chemotherapy. Uh, mm-hmm. Me, I had like I felt like every single one, and I had to like motivate myself to get up to go to the bathroom or to go get a glass of water. And I would coach myself. I mean, I would say it just like you, just like you said. I would mention it. I would say it out loud. I would, you know, try to figure out like you can do this. Like you just get up, just get up. And I would use the phrase "bodies in motion, stay in motion" all the time. So that was my mantra. So I would literally be like, if, you're, if you don't get up, then, you know, you're going to get weak. You've got to get up. You know, you just – and so that would be what I would use to get me to walk down the street for a block and come back or to just try mm-hmm. to keep my strength up and keep going. So, yeah, I, I talk a, a lot out loud to myself. <laughs> well, but I sometimes for me, you know, I mean, my cat mm-hmm. might say, really – but I mean, sometimes for me, I just I need to hear it. I I need yeah. to hear it. And so when you say, you said body in motion, stay body in motion stays in motion all the time. That's sort of mm-hmm. your mantra, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, I, like I always that. say that. I mean, I, I always say like it's hard sometimes to move forward, but all you need is to do a baby step. Like a baby step is still forward, right? It's like so, and this can apply to anything in life, right? If you want a different yes. job, you you know, if you're trying to grieve loss or anything, just mm-hmm. one baby step is still progress. So you, bet. you might not be able to do a leap in that moment. That's totally fine. Like just motivate yourself to take that little baby step. So Absolutely. So at mm-hmm. what point did you decide to embrace this journey instead of resisting it? And how did that decision change the outcome? That's really interesting to me. Yeah, so so I decided because I was physically exhausted from trying to go against it. It's like swimming against the current, right? I, was, I, was, mm-hmm. I didn't want to admit that I had cancer. I was in denial, fell a victim to it. And so at one point I was like, the only way through this to embrace it, and I mean embrace mm-hmm. it all, like which is really hard to do, right? So embrace the good stuff and the and the bad stuff that comes with it, and and through that, by changing my mindset, I was able to really learn all the valuable lessons and find the gift within this experience that I don't think I would have been able to do. I became stronger because of that. I became 
who I am today, which is a definitely a better version of myself now than I was then. Um, I surprised myself with the amount of strength I had or how my perspective changed, and I figured out what was really important to me. So all of those things came from embracing the journey. I don't think I, I would have – if I would have just been negative or yes. depressed the entire time, I don't think I would have been able to, to progress in any way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe out of necessity I did it because physically I was, you don't have the strength. I mean, if you're going against it, the emotions, all of that, it's just, it, it's exhausting. So yes, in order I, I'm sure. Forward, yeah. I had to just like come to terms with it. And so that was when I said, I actually had a little bracelet that represented it was like embrace the journey was what the symbol represented in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so I would wear that. And when I needed a reminder, I'd look down at my bracelet and be like, okay, like here I am, like going to go through this biopsy or I'm going to go through this, you know, treatment and I'm going to have to like embrace this no matter what. And so right. it was a good reminder for me. Yeah. That's, that's really great. It just kind of takes me over to um, you've been talking about how, you mentioned earlier about finding life's purpose, and I'm just curious, what's yours, and how did that diagnosis help you find that? So life purpose to to me, life purpose is a big thing, and I was searching for mm-hmm. it, like I said at the beginning, like like you know, probably about 38 years old. I was like, there has to be more to life. What is it? And I want to give back, but I don't know how. So life purpose to me means truly living out your truth. Uh, it was, it's like the reason you were born in the first place. And I feel like it's the legacy that you leave behind in a positive way. So that is what I, how I define life purpose. So as, so as I was searching for my life purpose and there was a, a bigger urgency to find it now that I had been diagnosed, I was like, I still didn't know what my life purpose was. And so I didn't tell a lot of people. I had a very small group of friends that I told. And when I and family, family and friends. And so when I told my friends, my girlfriends about it sudden, I had one after another within a 24-hour period come back to me and say, I just scheduled my mammogram. Or I'm going to, oh. you know, I'm behind the schedule. I need to do that. And I'm going to go to the women's clinic. Or, and, and these, like, amazing reaction to my story, right? It was like it, my, my story was creating action, right? By all I had to do was share it, that this happened to me. So all of a sudden I was like, oh, my gosh, is this my life purpose? Should I share my story with more people? And if I do, will it inspire people to go have mammograms or screenings? And if so, then even if I can save one life, this is all worth it, right? So that was Mm -hmm. originally I was like, okay, I think this is my life purpose. And then as I started, it kind of evolved. And as I started going through the process, I learned – how isolated I felt um, mm. through the process as going through treatment and all that stuff. That, that the world, like people just didn't understand, unless you talk to another person going through it, it's really hard to understand the experience. And I really, I never seeked out a support group in that way. Um, so I, I just, I realized that, okay, if I can document this, I can, I can share my experience with others, maybe that will bring comfort because it's it's no longer you're in it alone, right? I'm there too. I right. Do, right? <laughs> We're in it together kind of thing. So I, I that think was that's hurt. important. 
Yeah. It, it, was, it, it was interesting how it even evolved. And now what's funny is that now I feel like there's this whole need to shift the narrative as well, which is why part of the reason that, you know, I think we just don't talk about it enough. And so I think it, it just keeps evolving my life purpose. But it's all amazing and wonderful. I'm so grateful. You know, I always say I never want the experience of cancer again. But I'm grateful that I went through it because I, I was able to see what am I supposed to do with my life. And I feel like this is mm-hmm. my purpose and my passion. So what would you say to somebody who maybe hasn't discovered their purpose in life yet? Uh, you know what? I think so I, so I actually meditate. I do a lot of meditation, and I, that actually helps. Mm-hmm. And the reason it helped is because it was basically just becoming uh, silent. Because I think that your life purpose will come to you when you know and need it, right? Like, it, it's like it's a matter of timing. So I was asking for it. At the end of every meditation leading into my diagnosis, I would be like, you know, what's my life purpose? <laughs> and there'd be no answer, right? It was just, okay, I don't know. I still don't know. But I think that giving it space and understanding that you are seeking something more and that it will come to you when you need, when you need it most, I think, so you just have to give it space. And there's not like a pressure to find, I, I mean, I actually put pressure on myself to find my life purpose at the beginning. Uh-huh. And then I realized there was no way I could have ever figured that this was going to be my life purpose. It took life to get me there, right? So that's how I found my purpose was by living. You know, it, and it's there's something about knowing that when you know it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't mean to say you know, you know, you know, keep saying that, but when you feel like you've found that purpose, and it can change. I mean, once you find your life purpose, that doesn't mean, mm-hmm. okay, so that's it for the rest of my life. Well, no, it, you, we, can, we can morph. We can, we can go on to <laughs> one purpose leads to another, but yeah. if you haven't even asked yourself what your purpose is and you're just going through your life, and, I, and this sounds very judgmental, so let me, let me not make it sound that way. Maybe, maybe whoever is listening right now said, you know, I haven't really thought about my purpose right now. I'm just, I'm just trying to put food on the table. I'm just trying to get my kids to school. I'm just trying to mm-hmm. stay on top of my job. You know, COVID has messed everything up. You could say a lot of different things that are going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that our purpose can evolve. And Mm -hmm. and so you you don't know where that may change. But um, you mentioned meditation. So you were already in that realm prior to your diagnosis. You were already that person? Yes, yes. I actually got introduced to it by a friend. And my whole life, I was always, I was a doer. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you've got to go do stuff. you got to, you know, to achieve and great things in life, you have to keep moving and going and thinking. And it was the first time in my life where here I am in my 30s, and I was like, I had, for the first time, was like, I, all I have to do is just sit here and let my thoughts actually go and not mm-hmm. think, right, and just embrace the silence of, like, peace and internal peace. I was like, this is, this is unusual, but it felt yes. so amazing, you know? And so uh, 
of course I got hooked on it because it was, it was something that I needed. I, I have a lot of, I'm not good with stress management uh, in my life, especially mm-hmm. pre-diagnosis. And that really helped me to put things in perspective, to, you know, release stress and kind of ground myself. I can, I can see where that would do that. It's funny. I, I like to walk. And mm-hmm. um, the cloud the clouds today with the sun was so – it almost felt like a spiritual experience being outdoors oh, today. And, you know, it, it, you know, when you think and you look around and you go, how magnificent is this? And look at I these know. trees. And it's like, oh, my gosh, there's a red-tailed hawk swirling around up there. Mm-hmm. Look at uh-huh. look at this day. I now granted, you know, I've never met a stranger. That's always mm-hmm. been how I've always been. I don't know why I have that kind of confidence that I can speak to anyone um, because I've never really thought of it as something that's, that that has something to do with confidence. I'm just mm-hmm. curious, but. I do think that I've learned some really important lessons from you personally today where oh, I could see I could see where I would say to somebody, "Oh, I'm so sorry." We 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 tend to say that, you know, whether it's health related, maybe it has to do with your pet, maybe it has to do mm-hmm. with a lot of different things. If we could because I'm like a word person like you are, maybe by choosing words that, that sound a little bit different. You know, mm-hmm. is there is there anything I can do to help you? And maybe the person would say, you know what, just hearing you say that meant something to me. You, you don't mm-hmm. know what the response is going to be. And I think that that's what's so important about what your book has said what your message is, because you're not speaking from a medical standpoint. You're speaking from a personal standpoint and yeah. how this has affected you. And it wasn't that you weren't living a purposeful life prior to this, but you discovered a new purpose, didn't you? I did. You're right. Yes. Well, I, I think that it's wonderful and if people, I know you, you do a lot of mentoring. By any chance, can people um, um, secure appointments with you online? Can they do those things with you? Do they have to see you in person to do that? So what we, so I, go, I work through the American Cancer Society. Uh, they have a program okay. called the Reach Free Program, which pairs okay. uh, uh, people diagnosed with survivors uh, usually post, I think mostly all post um, treatment and diagnosis. Okay. And it's a, it's, they have their own system, which is great. So basically it puts the person in control um, of the patient in control, and they can pick somebody up here like myself uh, by matching criteria, which is fantastic. So basically if great. somebody – for example, I have triple positive breast cancer or someone else is triple positive, or it could be by the age, right? So maybe someone in the middle of their life got diagnosed, which is different than someone maybe later on in life. Or mm-hmm. they have a mastectomy, and I didn't have a mastectomy, but they need to talk to someone who did. It mm-hmm. allows them to find resources to do that, and it's 
It is incredible. I've been doing it for, I think, since 2018, I think, um, or 2019. It took a year after I was done with treatment for, mm-hmm. for them to, to allow you to do it. But so what's it the best so way... What's the best way for somebody to contact you in order to do that? Can they do that through your website? No, just go through the American Cancer Society. If they do oh, that, good. go and straight they, they to them. Find okay. Me. Yeah, they'll okay. they'll find me. It's uh, Jen. I think it's Jen J. Um, is, uh, but you'll see my picture on there and stuff. So they Got can it. they can okay. match me match with me oh, that way. Sure. Okay. Thank you for mm-hmm. saying that because I think that's yeah. important. Well, I think mm-hmm. everything that you said today has been important and meaningful. And um, your sister was not mistaken when she said you need to have my sister Jennifer <laughs> on your on your podcast oh. because I think what you're saying is really important, and I'm just grateful that you've taken the time to share that with us and for people, you know, go out and buy this book and and if you are suffering or a family member is suffering or been just diagnosed. You can go to the American Cancer Society and you can mm-hmm. get information there. And I, I really am pre- appreciative of you saying that. So thank you for being who you are. You're authentic oh, and thank you, you are too. real. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm really grateful for the time you spent with me today, Jennifer. It's been really great. Oh, I feel grateful <sighs> too. So thank you. Okay. You're welcome. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> Share this story with those you love because you don't know when this might make a difference. And I will let you get on with your day, and I'll make sure that this podcast is heard across all the websites that um, where people subscribe to podcasts, of course, on my social media. So have a lovely, healthy day, Jennifer. Thanks once again for joining me. Thank you. Bye for now, everybody. You're welcome. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.